Hello, everybody, and welcome to 2, 5, and 10, episode 44, recording today, July 30th, 2019. I figured the uh, intro was fitting with Turn the Page, because earlier in the day today, we find out that the Minnesota Wild have officially fired Paul Fenton after only just one season at the helm. Benny, what do you think of that? This is eerily similar to the New York Jets uh, this past offseason where they kept their GM, Mike McCagnan, they let him run free agency and spend almost $200 million in guaranteed money. They let him run the entire draft. They let him hire a coach, and then they fired him a few weeks before minicamp, and then they had to go and find a GM. Uh, the, I can't believe that they waited until after the draft, after free agency, to move move ahead with this but i guess this has been building over the course of the last year obviously and especially this past off season because the owner apparently has been sitting in on all the war room meetings and trade calls and everything else just to see how fenton was working yeah i'm with you it's definitely weird awkward all the above when you let him go through a draft and free agency and i understand how on the other end like they had the whole postseason. Like, they had plenty of time. Maybe there were certain candidates they wanted to see come available and they weren't due to their team still being in the playoffs. But this is ugly. Like, the quote-unquote state of hockey, like, it doesn't look good there. does not look like a state of hockey. Maybe high school hockey. <laughs> but, but, but that team there is in some serious trouble. Yeah, I mean, just some of the quick quote-unquote highlights of just the last two months three months of Fenton's tenure as GM in Minnesota I uh, like you said he led the draft which I don't think isn't as much of a miscalculation because he's been spearheading the entire scouting system the draft board and everything else so I think it would kind of hurt more to let him go and then find a new leadership and that might change the entire draft board up right before the draft. So I can see the team letting him run that, but it's free agency. You let him sign Matt Zuccarello and everybody knows my feelings on Zook from his time at the Rangers, but you give him five years, a full no trade clause and add him to another aging core in Minnesota. You let him almost trade Jason Zucker twice. One of them was, fell through because Phil Kessel just didn't want to go into Minnesota. And that started ringing alarm bells for me. Uh, you go back to the Victor Rask and Nino Niederreiter trade. Um, it's just not good team building. And I know that was a major part of it, but apparently he just wasn't fitting in with the culture that uh, the owner has been around for 11 years has been trying to develop. There's been a lot of low morale, according to Michael Russo of the athletic in terms of the hockey department um yeah i mean he shipped victor uh acquired victor rask and then shipped charlie Coyle to boston where he blossomed for you guys in the playoffs but apparently i uh, he turned down trading eric stall to you guys that was 
Boston's first choice was Stahl, and then he turned that down and signed him to an extension, even though he's older and more expensive than Charlie Coyle. Um, yeah, it's just not a good look right now. Well, there's a couple other things, too. Like, I know you inherit certain things, but that Zach Parisi and Ryan Sutterdales, you got them for another six years. Six years, man. Six years, and both with identical contracts at 7-5. Like, woof. And, <laughs> no, like, maybe maybe the ownership wanted him to take initiative and maybe ship one of them out or buy one of them out just to see if, you know, get a little bit of freedom. I mean, Suter's 34, Parise's 35. This has taken both of them to 40 and 41. Yeah. And then the other thing is this now, too. All the no-movement clauses on this team, once as Seattle comes to the expansion draft next year at the end of the season, you would now have to protect all your guys with no-movement clauses. Jared Spurgeon, Ryan Suter, Miko Koivu, Jason Zucker, Matt Zuccarello, and Zach Parise are all protected. So you leave that whole decor open of Matt Dumba. You have Brodeen, who's recently come on the scene. Like, this is not going to be easy for them at all. And then you have Devin Dubnik, too, who at the end of this year only has one year left on his deal, but he still has a modified no trade. Like, you have to protect them. And I just don't know if maybe the ownership wanted him to do something different. But, like... When you sit down and hire a GM, I'm sure you go over, like, currently looking at this roster, what is your five-year plan here? Like, how can you make this come to action? And whether he told them something and didn't do it or, like, I just don't know what one year does. Like, you want to come and implement something. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But like one year and out, like you just lost the whole season trying to rebuild and get back into the playoffs. Like I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, Spurgeon's a free agent after this year, so we'll even see if he sticks around with the Wild. But you mentioned Fenton only had a year and he was trying to implement a plan. It just doesn't seem like he had a plan. I said this to you before we hopped on here that the Wild are the New York Knicks of the National Hockey League. The Knicks jump from plan to plan. They have multiple plans at the same time. They're rebuilding, but then they try, they trade all the young guys to clear space for a guy like Kevin Durant. They miss on Durant, and then they basically commit to another two-year rebuild. They just hop back and forth. For the Wild, you talk about Parisi and Sutter, their contracts. Apparently, he was interested in trading Parisi this offseason, but the one proposal that he got was underwhelming. But that doesn't jive. If you're willing to trade a guy like Zach Parisi, then why are you on a free agent market signing a 31-year-old Matt Zuccarello to a five-year deal? Like, if you're going to be, start clearing house and clearing out contracts and trying to redevelop your identity, then what's the point of listening to offers on that guy but then signing Zuccarello? Um, the other thing is his plan all along. Everybody thought when Chuck Fletcher was fired that, okay, Minnesota's going to try and rebuild. They might trade some of their... Depth on D, which is their strong suit to uh, acquire some good young forwards, maybe move out a guy like Stahl, uh, things like that. And all he did when he was hired was he signed Greg Bretarin, Eric Fier, Matt Hendricks, and JT Brown. Great. You just improved the margins, but you didn't change the roster as a whole. And then in, a, in over a course of five weeks, this was his basically his trade, de trade deadline this past season. He acquired Brad Hunt, Pontus Adberg, 
claimed Anthony Potato, traded Nino Niederreiter, Charlie Coyle, and Michael Granlund. Like, what's the path there, you know? Well, that and then there was the one quote that came out at the end of the season where basically Fenton came out in the media and said, I don't want to trade Jason Zucker, but if the right deal comes along, I would. And then Jason Zucker's wife tweeted back and said, well, you know, I really like Jason as a husband, but if something better comes along, then I would get rid of him. And yeah, the quote is, I totally get it. I'm not planning to get rid of him as a husband, but I'm always open to offers if the right thing comes along. <laughs> yeah, like, and I mean, she has a great point there. Like, why say it? Like, if you want to call other NHL GMs and say Jason Zucker's on the market, have at it. But yeah. when you come out of the media and say something like that with arguably one of your best players, like, what do you think the reaction's going to be? And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe he was just ruffling too many feathers on the inside, and then maybe it was the media stuff on the other side, but yeah, one and done is tough, and that's a tough look for an organization. Yeah, the last two things I wanted to hit on is I didn't really connect to Dodge until he was fired today, obviously, but he's been, he was the assistant GM, the right-hand man in Nashville for a decade plus. Mm Mm-hmm. And Nashville is one of the best-run organizations in the sport. They've A lot of their front office guys have moved on to greener pastures and done well. But he never moved on. He's interviewed. He never got a job. He even interviewed to be the GM in Nashville, and they didn't promote him. Um, so I don't know if there's thing, cues that other organizations picked up that Minnesota just decided to look past and give him a shot. But now they're basically – a month from the Traverse City Prospect Tournament, a little over a month until training camp, and they're looking for a GM. And I I don't know if you want this job right now. I mean, they're talking about Ron Hextall, which was one of my guys that I was talking about for the Seattle role. Uh, Dean Lombardi's still out there. He brings a lot of clout. Uh, They passed on Tom Fitzgerald, who's the assistant GM in New Jersey, to give Fenton a job. Maybe they circle back there or talk to Billy Guerin. But... Yeah, this is not a good look PR-wise. This is not a good look within the league itself. And I don't know. I mean, there's only 31 GM jobs in the sport of hockey, so I'm sure somebody's going to be willing to take it, but this is an uphill battle. Yeah, you ain't shitting about an uphill battle. <laughs> um, going on to it, other news this week. Your boy, Pavel Buchnevich, take it away. Drum roll, please. Pavel Buchnevich, he avoided arbitration, which, as I highlighted in last week's episode, is the key to a long and happy relationship between player and organization. He signs a two-year deal for $3.25 million per season, which I think is a very, very good deal for both him and the Rangers. He gets a free agency uh, sooner, and the Rangers get to fit him in under the cap for cheaper than I think a lot of people thought I pegged him for about 3.75. So every little bit helps right now for the Rangers. They are currently $4 million over the salary cap. And they, because he signed him uh, to his deal, starting yesterday, Monday, opened up a 48-hour buyout window for the Rangers where they can buy out whoever they want. They haven't made any announcements yet. As of this recording, there's about 21 hours left to go. If they are going to buy out a guy like Brendan Smith or... Kevin Shattenkirk, I don't see any other way. I think they're going to have to buy one of those guys out. They're probably going to have to move a guy like Vlad Mestnikov. If they wanted to move Chris Kreider, they already would have. 
the draft has gone by, free agency has gone by. I don't think they're going to move him at this point unless they get blown away with an offer. So I think the other shoes about to chop in terms of one buyout and probably a trade of a guy like Nemesnikov to get us under the cap. But other than that, this is pretty much a team for the Rangers out there and drastic improvement from last year and the year before. I mean, great deal, like you said, on the Rangers end to get him under the cap and a little bit cheaper than what everyone expected. It, I mean, he's improved every year. The first year, 16-17, 41 games played, 20 points, 8 goals, 12 assists. Then you look at 17-18, 74 games played, 14 goals, 29 assists for 43 points. And I know his point total went down this year, but he didn't play as many games. Only 64 games this year. Yeah. But he had 21 goals. Like so, can He you came imagine? on strong, yeah. Yeah, like in another 18 games, what he would have been able to do. So, I mean, he could have hit that 30-goal mark. So if you guys have a potential 30-goal scorer on your hands for an only 3.25, you lucked up big time. <laughs> yeah, the thing with Buchnevich was he had a really poor start to the year under uh, Quinney. And he was healthy scratched a few times. Uh, he was basically benched during games. His ice time was cut. There were... There was a stretch of about two weeks where he's getting four flying minutes because he wasn't competing consistently enough for Quinn and his system. And then I would say from February on, I know it's a small sample size, but a light bulb kind of went off for him. I think he scored 13 goals in the Rangers' last 20 games. Uh, he's definitely more of a goal scorer than uh, a setup guy. So, like you said, if this is. The end of the, the last two months of the season, that's who Buchnevich is going to be pretty consistently moving forward. The Rangers have a very good young player on their hands on a cheap, and that helps not only cap situation now, but next year as well. And if they keep Kreider, the top six, everybody's penciling in their top forward prospect crops off into the top six or top nine at this point, but I just don't see the need to push him so quickly unless he earns it you got Kreider Panarin Lemieux Strom uh Buchnevich and Kako on the wings so I don't think you need to push a guy like that but uh hopefully this means Buchnevich has turned a corner and like you said we get a 25 30 goal score and you said the issues he ran into in Quinn's doghouse happened a little bit earlier in the year and he finally hit his stride what do you think made him finally hit that stride. Do you think he was, he wasn't competing as Quinn said, or do you think there was a little bit something more to it? I think it was just a matter of, I'm not, he's always had this issue since he's joined the Rangers where he can disappear for a few games at a time and then he'll go on a hot streak and then disappear again. And it, I don't think it's a lack of, uh, caring about the sport or effort. I think it's just, like a mental thing for him. So I think he's been able to get by, especially in Russia, on his talent over a lot of his teammates and league mates for so long that he just didn't, wasn't forced to put in that extra effort, forced to put in uh, the mental preparation that he had to once he got to New York and NHL where he realized this is a big pond, you're not the big fish anymore. So he always had, he started to develop a little bit of a bite too got into a few fights uh, towards the end of the year last year. So he had it in him. I was just thinking he needed some tough loving to get it out. And training camp is going to be interesting because if he comes to camp, and especially if he starts the year slow again and he still has any consistency, he's going to lose his spot to one of the young guys that the Rangers have knocking on the door right now. 
And with what you just said, do you think that is scary in the sense of he just signed this deal? You think he's finally hitting his stride and then all that momentum and mental whatever you call it just kind of like shits the bet on him? Or do you think that's going to be his wake up call? I'm hoping it's the wake-up call, but if that's if that's not enough to get you motivated consistently, where you just signed an, a nice contract, you're only signed for two years, so if you don't compete, if you don't play consistently, you're basically two years away from going back to the KHL and playing in Russia. And you have a guy like Kravtsov who's nipping at your heels. If that's not enough, then there's, there's no hope at that, that point. Like If that can't get you to go, I don't know what will. I know a fellow Russian nipping at your heels, you know, and, and he's talking to you <laughs> in the same language, so it should well, be easy maybe, enough. Uh, to be honest, maybe the Rangers should end up keeping him anyway because who knows how much longer Panarin has after his quote on Putin. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> well, speaking of another Russian, uh, Andre Vasilevsky down in Tampa signs a huge ticket for a deal starting next year. He's getting nine five average annual value for eight years huge money mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie i don't know if he deserves that much and i say it in the sense of he's always had a stacked team in front of him stacked yeah and when they're scoring you know five goals a night and you only got a you can let in three like i think mentally that's a huge advantage for a goalie but i do think this year they're going to run into some trouble and I tell you why. The decor is dwindling a little bit. You still have Victor Hedman. You still have Ryan McDonough, but I I don't know how I feel about McDonough at this point. He's kind of on the decline Oof, a little bit, okay. beaten up. Then you got Braden Coburn at 34. I, I think he's kind of seen his days as that rough and tough defenseman getting there. Jan Ruda, uh, you do have Miguel Servicet. I do like him. He, I'm a fan of him. You did bring in Luke Shen, and I think that he could kind of offset Coburn if Coburn kind of gets a little iffy there. But even then, I mean, Luke Shen's kind of at the bottom of his career too. Yeah. And then you get Luke Witkowski and then Eric Cernak. I I think that this year is going to be the first year he actually has to earn it. Like, earn it, earn it. Because they used to have um, the guy. Strowman. Strowman, yeah. Like, I I thought their D was completely set. Now I'm a little nervous to see as to when they put on the full court press, is he going to be up to snuff? Yeah, the thing for me is he. this is the largest contract given to a goalie who's signed an extension with his current team. Uh, I think Price was the richest contract, and he was at nine, I believe. Um, on a free agency market, obviously, the other Florida team, uh, the Panthers signed Bobrovsky to, for $10 million. Uh, so I think the Lightning... I th- you had to do this deal. Uh, yeah, he's probably overpaid because committing 11% of your salary cap to a goaltender in today's NHL isn't a requirement. It might not be the best use of resources, especially when you're a team like Tampa who is going to be spending towards the cap limit year in and year out to keep this competitive window open. But he's 25 years old, Vezina-level goalie. He's not even really in his prime yet. So I think they're banking on him, and like you highlighted, if they're going to have to start cutting some corners here, whether that's on the back end or up front in the next year or two, they're banking on him being able to be that steadying, dominant force in goal where he's going to be able to bail them out more and more as 
the uh, budgetary concerns start whittling away at uh, the roster. Yeah, I mean, currently they have about $10 million in cap space. We can all agree that's going to Braden Point. But yeah. then you look at it for next year, and you got some guys that are going to be re- restricted. Sergachev's going to have to get paid. Sorelli. Yeah, Sorelli, uh, Matthew Joseph, Danik Martellic. All those younger guys are going to go into bigger contracts. So they're, yeah. they're going to have to shed something. Well, um, I guess right after this, we'll get into the Callahan trade today that is going to open up the money for point. But, yeah, I don't know. I- I'm interested to see if at the end of this deal, well, if I'm still alive at the end of this deal, <laughs> if if it was worth it. And yeah. I- I'm with you. I mean, I guess that's kind of how the money has to go now. But at the same point, like, it's tough because – I don't think he has completely proven himself. And I know last year he was a Vesna candidate. Like he was solid between the pipes, but the decor was different last year. Like, I think this is where we're going to see how good he is this year. So for me, it, uh, two things One, I think I'm really high in Eric Cernak. I think he's the 22 year old righty shot defenseman. I think they got him from the Kings for in, in the Ben Bishop trade. So Pretty solid move all around for the Lightning there. They got a young, I think, top four right-hand shot defenseman, and they open up the cap space and playing time for Vasilevsky. I think that pretty much worked out as great as they probably hoped. But I think Cernak's going to step into that second-pair top four role. So I don't know if the loss from Stralma to him is going to be that dramatic at this point. But the thing for me is, you have, like you said, with McDonough. I'm a big McDonough, McDonough guy, especially when he's healthy. But he is slightly injury-prone. Uh, he'll play through it, but it impacts his play a lot. His game is really based on his speed and smarts. He's signed one, two, three, four, five, six more years at almost $7 million a year. That is a massive contract for a guy who you don't know if you're going to get 75-plus games a year already at the age of 30, never mind 35, 36. So... That might be a problem down the road, but like you said, most of that $11 million available is going to go to point this offseason. But then next summer, you look at contracts like Alex Killorn or Andre Palat, where they might be on a move. So this happened to the Blackhawks. It happened to the Rangers after their windows. You kind of start whittling away at the margins of the core, and then uh, before you know it, you have a few expensive veterans on your books and then not much in the cupboard in terms of prospects because you've been going for a cup for the last five or six years. And getting after it today, earlier today, to open up that money for Braden Point, who is not signed yet, just opening up the money. Ryan Callahan to the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa also getting a 2020 fifth round pick. And they receive, well, the Lightning receive goalie Mike Condon and a 2026 round pick just basically a cap dump for the lightning but on the other end for ottawa i mean i think that's a great pickup for them Uh, they need leadership they're struggling crazy right now um i understand callahan's still hurt he's still on ir and there's a lot of money that they currently have on ir just just throwing it out there they have 15 million in ir ryan callahan marion gabrick and clark mccarthy but if Callahan can come and play and he jumps into that roster, you have Bobby Ryan. They just got Artem Anisinov in the trade with Chicago. They got Michael Bodker. They have J.P. Pajot, who, I mean, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. But when he's on, he's on. You have Duclair. Like, I I don't know. I, 
I don't want to say, I don't even know how to say it in like a nice way. It's hard for me to get down on them because on the other side, you look at their younger guys that are coming up, Brady Kachuk, Colin White, and then you got on the back end, you have Thomas Shabbat. Like, I don't think they're a completely god-awful team. And if they can get the right leadership and they can get some things going, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to be last in the league. I think they'll be competing for the last playoff spot in the Atlantic. But it's still Not just interesting. A, yeah, it's just a dump, just still a dumpster fire with Melnick and all that other shit going on up there. But I do think in in the little bit amount of time right now, Dorian has turned it around, and I know it might not have been a hot place to go, but I, I think he's put himself together a good little lineup up there. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Callahan's probably not going to play again. Um, when the Lightning placed him on long term IR, uh, they said that doctors diagnosed him with the degenerative back disease and they recommended that he no longer play hockey. Uh, so I think it's an extreme long shot that he's going to be able to dress and be in a room to give him that leadership. I think this is strictly just trying to hit the cap floor and gaining, moving up around in draft pick consideration in that trade. Um, I'm not sure if I'm as high on the turnaround for Ottawa so far as you. I I love Kachuk. Um, Shabbat's good. Craig Anderson's older. Uh, I know they have one or two goalie prospects that they're hoping will develop this season, push him for time. I just don't know really what else is there because in today's league, you need a legitimate, at least two legitimate top six centers. Uh, you need one Norris Trophy guy on a back end or at least guy that can be in a conversation and another supporting like a 1A guy like the Lightning have with Hedman and McDonough. And strong in goal. And I don't know if the Senators have that or even really that close to getting it. I'm not saying that they're not going in the right direction, at least roster construction-wise, but I don't know if they're going to be a draw for free agency anytime soon. And when it comes to trades, their cupboard's not strong enough to start dealing away prospects and still progress on an NHL level. So I still think they're a few years away. I think they're going to be on the same timeline as a Detroit and Buffalo even though Buffalo is probably a little bit ahead of them. But I think it's going to be Detroit and Ottawa seeing who finishes last in the Atlantic. All right, fair enough. I'm just saying that they're on the up. And, I mean, Logan I'm, Brown, that that kid's a player, man. He's a big boy, too, and he's going right up the middle. You, you can put him and Brady Kachuk and Tyler Ennis on that right wing. I guarantee there's going to be production. Hey, we can uh, spend – a whole lot of time going into this when we start doing our divisional previews. Oh God, no, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> we can do that in August. <laughs> and well, another trade happened over the weekend. We have finally found a landing spot for Nikita Gusev after all the rumors and issues he had with the Golden Knights when he came over from the KHL. He is now a New Jersey Devil. The Golden Knights receive a 2020 third-round pick and a 2021 second-round pick. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Because this guy's still kind of a dark horse. Like, we don't know too much because he didn't really play in that playoff series. Yeah, he also the Devils also signed him because he was a restricted free agent. They gave him two years, $9 million, so a $4.5 million cap hit for the next two years. 
He was a two-time KHL MVP. Uh, he was probably one of the most dominating players in KHL history. He's 27 years old, so he's not exactly a spring chicken at 22-23 coming over to the National Hockey League. Like you said, nobody really knows how his game is going to translate to the NHL. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the quickest guy. Uh, he's not going to blow anybody away defensively. His game, even uh, McPhee commented on it when he made the trade, that they don't even know what he is. So he could blow up and be a guy like uh, who can carry a top line, or he can just be another in a long line of guys like coming over from Russia, solid, not spectacular two, three-year run in the league, and then they go back to Russia. So I think New Jersey is the best landing spot for him for two reasons. One, he's going to get instantly at least top six minutes, possibly even top pair minutes, and it's going to be playing with very talented guys, either Nico Ishrod or Jack Hughes or Terrell Hall. So I think that's a good spot for him. The second thing is he's out of Vegas, and that's a positive for him on a personal level because of all the – hype that was coming with him and if he was trying to make it in vegas and all these fans have been hearing is this guy's the next big thing next big thing he was gonna have that additional pressure on him now in a place like new jersey he's just going to be able to hopefully slide in be probably the third or fourth story in training camp behind taylor hall's contract jack hughes debut pk suban being in camp and then what's going to happen in goal with blackwood and schneider so i think this is a win-win for him all around yeah, I'm with you. I think the win-win part is huge. And I think this is kind of a Russian's dream scenario in the sense of <laughs> you can go in and he could possibly be a superstar in this league. Yeah. And he only has two years under contract with the Devils till he becomes a UFA. So if he comes in and lights it up, in two years he could be seen even more than four and a half. And I'm sure he would love that. And like you said on the other end, if he comes in and he's a bust, he can go back to the KHL and... and go back to Russia, and all is well and good. So for him, I think it's a win-win. The Devils, man, I think they're going to cause some fucking trouble next year with people. Um, this lineup, hats off to Ray Shero. We'll We'll get into it in the divisional preview, but I think the Devils are a playoff team. They desperately needed wing help. Uh, they're strong down the middle. They're pretty solid in goal, uh, even if Schneider doesn't come back to his Vancouver prime. Uh, I think Subban's overrated, but he's an upgrade. They have a good young uh, defense core. They're definitely going to be a playoff contender. It just, I think, depends on the development of some of your young guys. Like Even Blake Coleman, you can toss in there. If they develop, they continue progressing. I think the Islanders are in trouble. I think the Blue Jackets are in trouble after losing their free agents and not really replacing them. The Rangers are not up. And then you kind of have like Philly, which is in a weird spot. But like you said, we'll get into it in our divisional spot. But yeah, the Devils, Ray Sherman, man, doing work, proving that Pittsburgh wasn't a fluke. Hey, and not to mention, too, who knows what is or what isn't. They still have $12 million in cap space. And yeah. he's been making moves here and there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there still isn't another person they add to the mix. David Backus, help you guys out. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was a rumor, and then now we've heard nothing about it. So, the, <laughs> thank you, Ray Shiro. By the way, 
I was trying to think of a comparison for another like Russian-born winger who came over with a nice little bit of hype and then had like a few-year run, didn't really live up to the billing, wasn't a crap player, but didn't live up to the hype, went to Russia, and that's basically where he finished his career. Remember Sergei Berezin in Toronto? No. <laughs> you don't remember him? So he no. played for them in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I think he wore number 94 for Toronto, but... Yeah, he was supposed to be like this legitimate top wing forward to play with Max Sundin and just never materialized. So that's what I kept thinking about when I was trying to place a comparison for like the worst case scenario for Gusev. Well, I mean, l- like we said, for him, win-win either way. So he, he lucked out big time with that. Uh, speaking of you boys, I know I brought a Bacchus. This is probably a quick hit, but... I was reading, I think it was Justin Bourne on The Athletic, and he was talking about all the restricted free agents that are still unsigned, which is crazy at this point in the offseason that all these guys seldom signed a contract. Um, But he had a throwaway line where they were talking to Don Sweeney about Charlie McAvoy and, to a lesser extent, Brandon Carlo and their restricted free agency. And he, quote-unquote, hinted at, that training camp isn't the real deadline to getting a deal done. It's December 1st because December 1st is the actual last day a player can sign and still play for the season as a restricted free agent before they would have to sit out. So I found that interesting to bring up that he, I know it's a negotiating ploy, but if this goes into training camp and then a season starts and McAvoy's still unsigned or both of them are still unsigned, that really, really damages your defensive system oh oh he's a fucking idiot for saying that (laughs) like there's no other way to put it um yeah a it cripples us defensively but b even if he signs he needs to sign both of them he still needs to get rid of people to fit them under the cap like so whether or not you want to wait till december 1st the absolute last day like hey if that's the way you feel go for it but at the same time you still have to make trades to make them be on the roster. So it's like, I I just don't know what he's dragging his feet for. And obviously there's been no talks at all. I mean, we we haven't heard of anything on either end. So I'm assuming it's quiet, but it's been that way with a lot of the restricted free agents, just with arbitration and everything else going on. But like, what an asinine thing to say. Like, like, <laughs> like that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Oh, well, December 1st is the day. But you still have all this other shit to get into before you can have them. Like, that's brutal. Like, that's not even a little bit good. That's not even a little bit. Up. Oh, my God. Like, listen, Sweeney already hates me. Hates <laughs> me. And I'll tell you why. We were at an event called Shake It for Shelter in Lexington, Mass., and uh, Don was there. And this is while he was still the assistant GM with the Bruins before uh, they had fired Chiarelli and hired him. And I may or may not have been on the sauce. But, you know, it was, it was an event. And I go up to him because he had just interviewed for the Washington job. And I told him, I said, what happened? I thought you had the Washington job in the bag. And he looked at me very stern and he said, I thought I did too. And I was like, oh, Casey, like, fuck you, idiot. Like, why'd you say it like that for? <laughs> and 
granted, Don has done a lot of good things here. He's drafted very well. He's brought in people up the pipeline and so on and so forth. His free agency is awful. Awful. Matt Bolesky for the money that we paid him. Like, seriously? And, and then it's like the David Backus deal. Like, his trades have hit. His drafting and rebuilding the farm and our prospects have hit. But his free agency is awful. And yeah, if that's his negotiating ploy that I don't have to do this until December 1st, like, if those guys sit out the air, they go to unrestricted. Unre- can you imagine that? They can't <laughs> Holy be- shit. Yeah. No, but that's what I I'm think- saying. The, like, say that comes to a day. Everyone knows we're strapped to the cap because they need to sign McAvoy. November 30th, he's calling, trying to unload contracts. Like, I don't care. Take your pick, whatever you want. Need to get out of the cap. Everybody says no because they all want to go at McAvoy at the end of next year. Charlie sits out a whole season, unrestricted July 1st, 2020. So two things about that. One, I think my sentiment is Carlo is ready to sign. And I think him and the Bruins probably have something worked out, but they can't really finalize it until they know exactly what they need to budget for McAvoy. And if the rumors are true of him asking for about $10 million and they're not going to come close to that, they can't officially announce the Carlo deal for, let's say, $3.5 million per year in case they need to renegotiate him down a little bit more. So I think McAvoy is also holding up to Carlo's situation. Um my second thing, this is more of a question to you. I thought if a player sits out, it doesn't accrue service time. Remember the whole Alexei Yashin deal in Ottawa? No, or is, uh, was that changed under the new uh, CBA? But I think it's if they if they sit out the whole year, then they're eligible for free agency. Okay. So it's like, I just, I can't fucking believe it. Like, <laughs> the, next week's August. Yeah. Usually by the end of July, everybody's wrapped up, and it's just a matter of logistics on when to get to camp. And you have guys like McAvoy, Carlo, Point, Nico Rantanen, uh, Matthew Kachuk, all these guys still on sign, which is bananas to me. Yeah, I mean, this year for RFAs has been crazy with all of those guys still on sign. I mean, we'll probably see Braden Point sign within, you know, by this tonight. This week I would give it. Yeah, but... I don't know, man. Either these kids are asking for a lot of money or people's salary caps are that messed up that they need that much help. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, start turning the calendar into August and guys are on sun. Everybody's going to start getting a little bit more nervous. Yeah, yeah. I'm already there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just glad the Rangers are all taken care of except for just getting under the cap. Everybody's signed that we need signed. Um, Must be nice. Speaking of calendar, got today in NHL history for everybody. So a little bit of a slow day, July 30th in NHL history, but got two two little key dates. In 2005, because of the lockouts, the draft was held on July 30th. Sidney Crosby officially became a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins when he was taken with the number one pick at the 2005 NHL draft in Ottawa. In 19... 98, Kevin Lowe, a six-time Stanley Cup winner, retires after 19 seasons as a player and joins the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff. He was also a key member, maybe not key, a regular member of the Rangers uh, when they won a cup in 1994 and ended their 54-year Stanley Cup drought. 
And lastly, in 2018, Jerome McGinla retired by announcing his retirement in Calgary, where he became the face of the franchise after spending 16 of his 20 seasons with the Calgary Flames. Good old Jerome. They're actually living out this way now in retirement. Send it in, Jerome. Uh, who do you have for shout-outs this week? Uh, I got a few shout-outs. Uh, one personal, the other is just some comings and goings. Uh, my first shout-out, as always, the First Lady, who just celebrated this past week her 29th birthday. Uh, so didn't mention it last week because her birthday didn't come to pass yet, but happy birthday to the First Lady. One year away from joining me in the Old Age Club. Um, the other shout-outs I got, a couple goodbyes. I'm going to say goodbye to Chris Kunitz, who announced his retirement today after 15 years in the National Hockey League. He won four Stanley Cups uh, between the Penguins and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Always a pain in the ass to play against. Always one of those little, tiny guys going around, running their mouths, getting the gloves and faces, especially when the Rangers win their Stanley Cup window. Um, but congrats to him on a very long career, especially for a guy that wasn't a blue chip prospect. And also a goodbye to Dennis Podvin, who yesterday announced his retirement from uh, TV broadcasting with the Florida Panthers. Goodbye, Podvin sucks. That's all I have to say. And lastly, my shout out to the newest in a long, long line of esteemed members of people I can call themselves owners of the Arizona Coyotes, Alex Marullo, who becomes the first Hispanic owner in the National Hockey League, is the newest contestant on Can You Make Hockey Work in a Desert? You mean the next contestant on How Long Until We Relocate? Um, <laughs> exactly. I actually so, had a question for you. Yeah. I, uh, I was seeing on social media uh, videos of the First Lady's Party, and I, I did not see you karaokeing. Did, did it happen, or, or were you? Oh yes, it happened. I'm not. I don't like attention. I don't like putting myself out there like that. But I did with my uh, friend out here, Viggy. We wrapped "99 Problems" Jay Z, and then the last song of the night before we wrapped up uh, ended up being "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, and me and a first lady sing that together. All right, because I was going to say, I saw the first ladies, and um, she loves she, karaoke. She went pretty hard. I mean, I, I didn't know if she like <laughs> she took, back by Fat Joe. Yeah, she, she looked. I didn't know if she took a gangster card or not. You know, <laughs> I no, I had to recapture it with the '99 Problems karaoke, but yeah, it was a good time. All right, I'm just making sure. Like I said, I didn't see you. I saw everybody else. Just making sure. <laughs> Who do you got? Uh, I have, as always, Big Red. But but I have another one here too. I, I have to give a shout out to uh, Papa at work for last week. We had a little accident where uh, he was in the loader and the bucket kind of got me in the back. So I kind of bit out on some uh, workman's comp, just hanging out. But uh, thank you for Doctor Summer off Papa. Much appreciated. Just been hanging around down the house. Uh, milk in this system. No, none of that, dude. I, <laughs> I'm gonna get you in trouble. Yeah, nah, we're cutting that out. No, but um, <laughs> no, I've just been hanging out. Nothing crazy. I just been relaxing, icing the back up, taking some uh, what do they call them? Flexorols, kind of get some movement going. But uh, outside of that, no, just just hanging, living the dream, baby. You know me. 
enjoying the summer, which at this point, we got to try and do it because once September comes around, it's balls to the wall again for a new season. Hey, I mean, a couple of weeks will start being the uh, previews, and who knows what will happen from there. Everybody, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this with us. Just enjoy the summer while it's still here. Me and Benny got you covered on anything else. Just enjoy what's going on. We'll catch y'all guys next week.